Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to this week's episode of the Legal Beagle Podcast. We are joined by a very special guest all the way from Indianapolis, Indiana, David Craig. Welcome, David. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I wanted to talk to you. You recently wrote a book, and I want to I talk to you about your book and, and the reason you wrote this book and how this book can, can help a lot of people. But before we do that, I want our listeners to know a little bit about you. So you're the managing partner at Craig Kelly and Faultless in Indianapolis. I'll tell you, David, I actually had to look at your website to make sure that Faultless was a real person. I thought you and Bill were just creative and you came up with uh, a, a third partner that's basically everyone in, in the uh, personal injury world is faultless, but Scott is a real guy. That's a, He's like destined to do this work. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, that, I mean, the funny thing is he applied for the job when he was in law school. So he's been with me since he was a law clerk. He, was a, he became an attorney and then a partner. But I thought the same thing when the guy applied for the jobs. Like, how in the world can you not interview a law student with a name of faultless? I, I don't blame you at all. That's amazing. Well, a little bit more about you. You're board certified in truck accident law, and that's going to be the majority of what we talk about in today's podcast. But it's important because that distinction is not just something that you get over time or get because you throw a bunch of money at. That's something that's earned through a lot of hard work and a lot of work in a specific area of personal injury law. And I think sometimes everyone likes to throw everything that happens in the personal injury arena into the same category. It's simply not. And I think your book does a great job about this or about talking about the distinctions specifically with the, with trucking wrecks. But you're also a member of the multi-million dollar advocate forum. And what I thought was really cool, a proud recipient of the Thurgood Marshall fighting for justice award, which you know, I don't know if you ever watched the the movie that came out a couple years ago about Thurgood Marshall. It was, I didn't, have a chance to practice when Thurgood was was on the Supreme Court or really know a lot about the the impact he's had on our profession. That movie did a lot of a lot of good for me because it taught me a little bit more about how great he was as a human being. And I think that's a fantastic distinction. That to me means more than anything else because it talks about you as a human being, not just you as an attorney. So that's a pretty significant award in in my book. I think you know, he's one of the guys that I looked up to. I mean, he, he's Thurgood Marshall is somebody that I looked up to. There's a couple of people in my career that I look up to, and, and Thurgood Marshall certainly was one. So it was great to receive that award. Um, I mean, you know, his years. You think about how hard it is to be a trial lawyer, um, and there's a lot of pressures, a lot of stress of what we go through. But can you imagine it doing it during his time when he was an attorney for the NAACP, when he thought his life would, could be taken? Uh, you know, when he was going to court and judges wouldn't listen to him or let him talk. I mean, I can't even imagine what it had to be like uh, to be a trial lawyer and to be him uh, during the period of time. So I have the utmost respect for him and, and those folks who, uh, who served our country uh, and, uh, and our, our population, our people during that period of time. I love it. I, I can't agree with you more. If you want to reach David, and, and I'll say this again at the end of the podcast, but I want you guys to know right up front, you can reach him through his website, ckflaw.com. All of his contact information is on there. If you have questions about what we discuss here or just want to maybe get your hands on his book, I encourage you to reach out to him. And again, I'll, I'll share with you all that website again at the end. But I want to dive into this book. I was fortunate enough to get a copy uh, sent to me ahead of this podcast and read it from 
front page to last page. But I want to start with the title of the book. You call this book Semi-Truck Wreck. For those that are not attorneys, and maybe those that are attorneys that are listening to this, because we have a, a combination of both, why did you pick that word wreck as opposed to accident? Yeah, I mean, accident, you know, obviously, um, you know, as trial lawyers, we, we, you know, we've, we've done focus groups, we've, we've talked to folks and, and, uh, and, and really accident implies different things to different people. But to some people, it, it, it means that it's just coincidental. It's an act of God. It's just something that happens. Uh, where a wreck or crash, certainly, uh, we look at it as, as someone's fault. Uh, someone's responsible for it. And so, you know, I think a lot of people use the word accident. I think that most trial lawyers try to avoid using the word of accident uh, because, you know, uh, when we have a semi-truck wreck and when there's a victims involved and when a truck driver is at fault, uh, certainly we prefer to call it a wreck or a crash. Yeah, I, I think that's, we, we've eliminated the word accident from our vocabulary at our firm for that very reason. So as we get into your book, I'm a big believer that when people put quotes or some sort of saying or something in italics, that it means something and that you should spend a little bit more time with it. So right away, you get into the first couple pages and there's a quote and it's really just you talking, but I, I want to read that because it, it resonated with me. And I just want to ask you a little bit more about this. You say for over 30 years, people have allowed me the privilege of representing them during the worst and most difficult times of their lives. They have trusted me with their future. They have become close to me and the other members of our law firm. For this, I am truly humbled. This book is dedicated to them. That's a really pointed quote. Why did you start out with that quote? Why did you, why did you feel it was necessary to thank the people that have, have kind of helped you get where you are in your career and, and really acknowledge those people? I mean, I, I'm blessed in being able to do what I do. Um, I have no trouble getting up every morning. Um, and it's because of the people that I represent. Those people make it a joy. Um, and when you're in the trenches and when you're fighting for those people, those people who have had a serious injury, they're paralyzed or they've lost a loved one, a, you know, a key member of their family or their child, uh, there's just nothing like doing that. And and so when these folks trust you with their lives, I, I've got a case right now where I just got hired and the, the client said, you know, Mr. Craig, you don't know me and I don't know you, but I've heard about you and I trust you. And I just want you to promise me that you'll take care of these two little boys whose dad was killed. And I don't know. I mean, that is a whole different, I mean, I've been practicing law and personal injury law for over 35 years, but when you do that and you fight for these people, and again, it's it's the worst of their it's worst of the times. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible situations they're going through. You can't help but become close. I mean, you spend time in their family with their families, uh, their extended families. You spend time in their homes, um, and so um, I owe I owe everything in my career to to the folks that I've represented. They have made my firm. They've made us made they've made what we've done worthwhile and make us feel good about what we do. And, uh, and I think that's all you can ask for. If you, if you love doing what you do, if you're passionate about it, you're certainly going to be better at it. And uh, because of the type of work we do, we are extraordinarily passionate and fortunate and blessed uh, because of that. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by that sense of responsibility that you have in caring for the people that were impacted by 
the particular case that you've you've taken on and and I guess what I'm asking is is sometimes these are I mean oftentimes these are really emotional situations and you're talking about loss of life or you know certainly you know significant injuries do you feel do you ever feel overwhelmed by that responsibility that the fact that these people are looking at you David Craig to take care of them to point them in the right direction to shepherd them through the process you know I don't um, I mean I, the, I look at it and say I know every day you know six seven days a week 12 hours a day whatever it takes I'm going to put everything I've got into their case. And that's all I can do. Um, that's the best that I can do. And I've, I've, I'm going to keep studying. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep acquiring knowledge and the expertise to do a good job. I mean, you get tired. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Um, when I was younger in my career, I, I kind of looked at things differently. I can remember one of the first trucking cases I had. Uh, there was a, 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 an issue of epilepsy. And the driver, I believe, had an epileptic seizure and caused this wreck. And, uh, and the trucking company was saying, no, that it was a product. The, the tire blew out uh, um, and it was a, just an unfortunate accident. And so I hired an expert, and the expert happened to be at the Riley Hospital. And during that time, I had felt that, that, that feeling that you're talking about. I felt that pressure of performing. I felt that pressure of, of living up to expectations and, and that these clients had put their faith in me. And I remember going to the Riley Hospital to meet this doctor like at nine o'clock at night. It was late in the evening. It was after hours, the only time he could meet with me and to talk about epilepsy. And I remember sitting in the, in the hospital, the Riley Hospital, and seeing all these parents who were there. They had worked all day and they were there to see their kids that were, that were hospitalized for some horrible ailments and illnesses. And I remember thinking, my gosh, why am I, what am I thinking? I don't have no problems compared to these other folks. And it helped me put things in perspective is that no matter how bad things are, it can always be worse. And when you're representing these people, quite frankly, you're so focused, at least with me, I am so focused on the end results and taking care of these people day in and day out that I really don't have time to think about it uh, from my perspective. Why write a book about semi-truck wrecks? You have a well-accomplished resume and have been doing this for a lot of years and I imagine are sought out by others throughout the country to assist in these types of cases. Why did you think it was important to write this book? You know, that's a really good question. I, I had never even thought about it um, for a long, for, you know, the most of my career, I never even thought about writing a book. When I looked at it was my job was always just taking care of my clients. Um, so when I get hired by one of these clients, then I would look at it and I would say, okay, my job is to win this case. Um, and either win it at a trial or get my client a fair res resolution. And so I never really looked beyond my case by case by case uh, analysis. And, but over time, my clients, uh, other attorneys started talking to me about it. And I decided I had became active in some national trial groups. I started teaching other lawyers um, and, and speaking to other lawyers about how to handle these cases. Um, but it, re it really dawned on me is that my clients, they had no idea I mean, clients, for the most part, it's the first time they've had any experience uh, with the judicial system, with a lawyer. And for, for most of them, they have no idea what to do. And I had, you know, several clients to come to me. I had a couple in particular that came to me. And one of them said, you know, I just, it was like a, it was a fluke. It was an act of God that I got to you. Um, I feel very fortunate that I did. But Dave, I had no idea. And after I met with you, I felt that I could trust you. 
And once I met with you, I was really glad that I did and that the results prove that I picked the right attorney plus the way you handled the case. You should, you know, you should write a book. You should let other people who don't know um, that you should let them know what they need to know. And, and, I, and I went back and I started talking to some of my other clients and said, what would you have liked to have known uh, in the very beginning? And that was kind of what was the basis of the book. On top of that, I've had a couple of cases where clients have picked the wrong lawyer and the lawyers didn't know how to handle a truck case. They may have been very good at something else, but they didn't know how to handle a truck case and they sat on the case. Evidence got destroyed. Evidence was just lost because of the time that passed. And so their cases were hurt before they got fired or before they actually got to me. And so it's like, you know what? I want to empower the clients. My clients are already empowered. I already provide them with the information. But there's so many people out there that have no idea what questions to ask. They, they, they just listen to the attorneys and the attorneys can tell them anything or everything. And they have no idea whether or not they're being told the truth or whether or not it's important information. So we decided, uh, I decided that I would like to write the book and, and empower people by giving them information so they would understand what questions to ask and to be able to hold whatever lawyer they hire accountable. Why do you, why do you think attorneys take cases they're not equipped to handle? And I, I, I actually stopped in this chapter and thought about this for myself. And I, I think I know how I would respond, but I'm interested from your perspective, why you think that happens in our profession? Well, I think, you know, first of all, you know, um, attorneys are smart folks. Um, and, and certainly, you know, there are attorneys that uh, have a skill set that even if they weren't truck lawyers, they could handle a, a truck case. But I think a lot of them just take it. They, they have no idea. The ones that I see that hurt their clients are folks that, that they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. They see a case maybe where the truck has, you know, looks like clear liability. They think they can sit on the case and hold it for a while the clients get better or while they take care of the wrongful death aspects and, and then eventually just settle the case uh, for a large sum of money. The problem is that the trucking companies and their insurance carriers can afford the best defense. They can afford the best experts. Uh, they, can, they have rapid response teams ready to go. And so what lawyers who don't, aren't familiar with this area they don't know is that while they're sitting doing nothing, the defense is aggressively working the file. Um, and so, and, and they, I mean, again, they start immediately at the scene of the wreck. They've got a crew out there talking to witnesses and doing all types of things. So I think part of it is just a naivety that, you know, they just think that nobody, nobody takes a case, no lawyer takes a case thinking they're going to hurt the client. But I do believe they, they don't realize that by doing nothing, they may very well be hurting the client. So this this book, and I, I tell you, the listener, this for the non-attorney, for the client, for the person who isn't familiar with this process. This book is for you. David writes this book for those people. This he he flat out says in his book, this is not written for attorneys. And I think you just described that in in what you were saying before. This is really written for the potential client the person who finds themselves in this very unfortunate situation to have some, some guideposts to navigate the process and, and what to look for. It's why I think you spent a chapter or two on making sure you vet the, the attorney that you're looking to hire, making sure that you walk in educated with and armed with questions and are ready to have those, those real hard conversations that should happen 
upfront to make sure you're getting the best possible advocate that you can get. You go on, there's another quote. I love, I love the quotes in the book. You go on to say, and I'm paraphrasing this just because it comes from a different part of, of the book. So just to give our listeners some context, our context, you say, I understand that everybody has something inside of them that should be valued and that everybody is worthwhile. What do you mean by that? I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate. I was raised by a psychologist. Uh, my dad worked for the welfare department when, when I was young. Um, I met people. Uh, then he became a psychologist for the state and uh, worked with juvenile delinquents. And my dad always saw the good in everybody. Um, and, and I have adopted that. I mean, I really believe that everyone starts off good. Uh, life can, can throw you some curveballs along the way, but everybody is worthwhile. And, you know, I don't care which person, who, who it is. I've learned something from everybody I've represented. Um, I know, I know what I do very well. Um, but I don't know a lot of, of other things. And I've always been taught, uh, I've always learned and, and I've always looked for the good in people. You go on to say, when you're talking about the process and explaining vetting attorneys and looking for the proper fit, you say, find someone that's willing to case, uh, take your case to trial. That's something that I think is thrown out without attorneys really understanding what the, that means and the complexity and the work and the cost that are going to come along with that decision to take a case to trial. When you say that, and I imagine just from the tone of the book and, and the way I read it, you mean it. When you say you got to be ready to take these cases to trial, how do you explain that to a client? And what I mean is that's a, it's a, sometimes a very bumpy road to, to walk down. How do you explain that, that idea of, Hey, we've got to take your case the distance in order to get you, you know, fair and just compensation. I mean, in these bigger cases, I mean, these wrongful death cases, these, you know, commercial motor vehicle cases, uh, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to fight you. Uh, like I said, in the very beginning, they're going to put their team together. They're going to try to protect their, their trucking company. They're going to protect their insurance carrier. And you've got to be prepared and have an attorney who's prepared to fight all the way through trial. And you talk to the clients about it and you say, look, you know, it's just, you make sense. I mean, if the, if they know they can beat you, if they know that you're not prepared, if they know that you're going to settle, then why in the world would they ever pay you a fair number? And so what you have to have is, first of all, you have to have a lawyer who actually tries cases. They have to have a reputation as a lawyer who tries cases. And then it's, it's like I always tell my clients, it's totally up to them whether they want to settle or not. I don't force my clients to go to trial. I don't force my clients to settle. I just empower them by giving them the information they need to understand the risk, the benefits. And then you've got to be prepared to go. I mean, I've had as much as a quarter of a million dollars in a multi-million dollar trucking case. Um, and there's a lot of law firms who don't have a quarter of a million to invest in experts and getting their case ready to go to trial. And you go to, and you, and you take that case to the trial. Um, and so, you know, it's very important to make sure you have an attorney that tries cases that's successful in their trials, um, and, and is not going to be somebody who's going to force you or lean on you to take a bad settlement. How did you become board certified in trucking cases because that's a that's a different level of distinction in our profession and for for non-attorneys and i know the book is written for non-attorneys i think people see words and they don't necessarily understand 
what those mean. Can you explain to our listeners how you become board certified, what that really entails? Yeah, I mean, so in this day and age, boy, you go on people's websites and there's all kinds of different things that people belong to and, and are recognized for this and recognized for that. And I recognize that the average person you know, can be easily confused and it's hard to tell, you know, are they good or are they not good? You know, are they qualified or are they not qualified to handle my case? And the great thing about board certification is it kind of does the vetting for you. Um, so I'm board certified in truck accident uh, law um, by the, the National Board of Trial Advocacy. And this was something that the, the National Board of Trial Advocacy, they board certify people in different areas. Um, and truck accident is just one of the more recent ones. Um, a couple of attorneys, uh, Joe Freed and uh, Leiserman, Michael Leiserman, were two attorneys, uh, one from Ohio, one from uh, uh, Georgia, who were instrumental in helping get this process set up because they wanted to see uh, people be able to pick attorneys that actually knew what they were doing and had experience in trucking and had major focus on trucking. So the National Board of Trial Advocacy, they do they, they make you submit um, an application. You have to give them names of judges that you practice in front of in truck cases. You have to give them names of attorneys you've worked with um, and uh, that on truck cases and you've worked against on truck cases. You have to be able to prove and show written documents, written pleadings that you've filed in, uh, in briefs in truck cases. You have to be able to substantiate, substantiate that like 30% of your practice is in trucking law. You have to show that you've done over 100 adversarial events. You've got to show that you've litigated 25 cases uh, to the end, 12 of which had to be truck cases. You have to have open truck cases. You have to have shown that you've done jury trials, that you actually have handled the jury trials. Um, and so, and then you have to have show that you continue to teach and learn in the area of truck law. On top of that, you do have to take a test. So you go in and you take a, a written a, a comp, complex and, and a thorough exam on the area of truck law. And, and so all that together, you know, is a great way because most lawyers haven't done that effort. Most lawyers may not have that much experience. Some lawyers may have some experience, but they couldn't pass the test. Regardless, they put all that together and they vet you. And so it's a safe way of finding out is the attorney I'm looking to hire somebody who actually understands and has handled and knows truck law. Now that doesn't mean that there's not lawyers out there who could, you know, that have the skill set. There's some great trial lawyers that may be board certified in a different area, but maybe not board certified in truck accident law that could handle a truck case. There's some darn good lawyers out there that I wouldn't hesitate to hire to handle a truck case. But the problem is the general public doesn't know who they are. You know, we know who good trial lawyers are because we're in the business, but the general public has no way of knowing. And that's the great thing about being board certified is now you have a way of making sure that the lawyer you pick is the right lawyer. So if, if a young attorney or maybe a, let's just say an inexperienced attorney, inexperienced in, in trucking wrecks is listening to this podcast and they are hearing what you're saying and they're like, look, I, I want to work with something like someone like David that can teach me how to do this. I don't want to give away a case because one, there's money in it. But more important than that, if I don't learn it, then I'm never going to be experienced. I'm never going to get to a point where I can one day say I'm board certified because I was able to meet the requirements that that David just shared. Are you open to having that conversation, having an attorney contact you and say, look, I, I want to work with you on this. I don't want to just turn over a case to you because I don't know how to do it. I, I want to learn it from you. I'll take the back seat. 
I'll let you drive, but but I want to I want to kind of be there along the way to to really get better at this area of practice. Is that something you're open to open to doing for those attorneys that might be interested? Absolutely. I mean, I do that all the time. A, a lot of my clients uh, come from other attorneys uh, that are referred to us, and some lawyers want to be involved. Other lawyers don't. Some lawyers like to you know, know the clients, and so they want to have some client involvement. Um, but regardless, I mean, I think it's a great way to learn. Uh, and quite frankly, they're going to get more money at the end. I mean, the lawyers who sit on files uh, that don't know what they're doing and don't reach out to, to experienced attorneys end up either losing the case or getting a bad settlement. And so by working with an attorney like me or someone else that knows truck law, they're going to get a better result for the client. They're going to get a better result for themselves. And they're going to learn. And, you know, I know I know, I work with other lawyers, love doing it. I love, you know, at this point in my career, I enjoy very much teaching other attorneys. My my son's an attorney in my law office. My daughter's a lawyer in my office. And, you know, uh, all my attorneys, including Mr. Follows, were law clerks of mine at one time, or most of the majority of them were. And so there's nothing I would rather do than work with a young attorney uh, with their cases, share the case, share the fee, and educate them on the way. In one of the chapters of your book, you talk about the variety of reasons why trucking wrecks continue to happen. As technology advances, as safeguards are put in place, does it surprise you that there are still so many trucking wrecks out there? It doesn't, just because, um, I mean, I, and I actually represent truck drivers. They get hit by other truck drivers. Um, and a lot of them tell me that the quality of the drivers have gone downhill. Uh, that a lot of them are coming out of uh, uh, programs that are just trying to hurry up and get help them get their CDL um, because there's such a demand for truckers. Um, and there's there's some things in the industry that have happened that um, are causing there's there's smaller companies, uh, trucking companies that have one or two trucks. The smaller the trucking company, uh, the more likely they are to be in wrecks. And so you know you've got. You know, everybody's ordering stuff online. They want everything to be delivered right away. And so you have a lot of trucks on the road, a lot of trucks delivering, a lot of trucks under time pressures. And and quite honestly, the demand has created some drivers out there that uh, are running on bad equipment uh, or with bad, bad, uh, bad truck drivers. You spent a little bit more time later into the book talking about the discovery process. And that's a word or two words that I can throw out and you and I both know what that means. The majority of people that will listen to this podcast or read your book do not know what that means. And you really go into detail. You explain everything. You explain the written discovery. You you explain depositions. You explain mediation. You talk about uh, the prospect of trial and what that might look like. And then, which I thought was really, really unique, you talk about post-judgment work on their case. And I I cannot think, David, I'll be honest, I cannot think of the to- a time that I've had that conversation with a client. Look, we get to trial and we get a verdict and that's, that's converted to a judgment. I, I don't think I've talked in depth like you do in your book about what happens after that and, and what, what happens going forward. Why did you feel it was important to, to highlight that? I think that, you know, first of all, um, I'm very fortunate that Scott Follis in my office is, a, is the most knowledgeable guy I know on the law. And so we handle our own appeals. Um, and I think when you try cases um, and you're successful and you get multi-million dollars and, you know, you, when you get verdicts in the size, of, you know, a million plus, um, they're always going to be threatening you with appeals. 
And your clients need to understand, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get through this trial process. And then even if we win, they're going to try to even then negotiate. I tried a case uh, about a year or two ago uh, where the, the verdict was for 1.6 million. And it was just a no death. It was just a herniated disc in the back. And the first thing they did as soon as we got the verdict was call and say, okay, well, how much will you take off of the judgment if we if we don't appeal it? You know, and so I said, no, I'm not, you know, I'll take nothing off of it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, though. I won't hold you to the post-judgment interest. You've called me within a week of the judgment. If you pay me and you bring a check over, you know, today or tomorrow, I'll, I'll waive the interest for this week. <laughs> uh, and I said, you know, because my client's not interested in, in negotiating. You had your chance to negotiate. And I'm I in, in Indiana and in most states, you can get post-judgment interest. I go, so in the post-judgment interest in most states is higher than what I can get at the bank. So why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you go ahead and appeal this verdict? And we'll collect our post-judgment interest. Plus, I don't publish my results. I don't put my results on my webpage. I don't have press conferences. I don't do any of those type of things. I just don't feel like it's necessarily in the, my client's best interest. So, you know, by appealing it, then we'll get a published decision and everybody will know about the result I got. <laughs> why don't you do me a favor and go ahead and appeal my case? And you know what? The next day I had a check in my office. I bet. Yeah, that's a pretty compelling argument right there to get you paid immediately. So, but your clients need to understand that. And, and again, it's their call. I, I work for them. I do what they want me to do, but they need to understand, number one, I'm not afraid to go try their case. And number two, I'm not afraid to appeal their, to handle their case on appeal. That's, that's a real important distinction that you offer that I don't think a lot of attorneys do. They are happy to engage those who practice in appellate work outside of their firm, but now you're introducing the client to an entirely different law firm or different attorney. And, and, you know, if you spent years developing relationships, those aren't easily transferable to other people. You, you should know as a client, you should think about how far is this law firm, is this attorney willing to take this? And at what point do they say, you know, I, I don't have the ability to do this or I won't do this. And Listen, I, I'm sure you have them in Indiana. We have them here. There are big mills that generate a lot of business, but they don't litigate even their own cases. When they get to the point of lawsuit, they turn them over. They don't tell their clients up front that they're going to do that. It's one of those, well, you're stuck. You know, Now we're going to introduce you to this partner of ours who does all of our litigation work. I, I think that's a disservice to people. I think if you're not upfront and honest about what you do and what you're willing to do, you're misleading people from the get-go, and that's just a bad way to start a relationship. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think that, you know, what you want is clients to be able to go in and talk to the lawyers. I encourage in the book, I think that, you know, you should go in and meet the lawyers face to face that you're considering hiring, especially in a wrongful death, huge semi case. You want to meet the people and you want to ask them, say, bring your whole team in. I would like to meet everybody that's going to work on my file. Um, I would like to see them. I would like to talk to them. Sometimes you have older attorneys who are maybe been very good in their day, but they haven't tried a case in the last 10 years. Um, and so you need to know that too. You want to know, is this law firm, somebody who's trying cases, are they going to handle my case? Who in my, who in this firm is going to handle it? And as you know, I mean, that's not, there's people on television, people on billboards that haven't walked into a courtroom in, in years or ever. And, and sometimes they think they're getting that person. And so you need to go in and talk to the people, vet them and make sure. And that's what I'm hoping in the book. It gives them some information, some questions to ask. I love it. In the last chapter, you talk about the client finding a new normal in their life, and then you give an example of someone you represented, and you also talk about the healing power of giving, which I think is exceptional because 
as an aside at our firm, we have a charitable aspect to what we do day in and day out, not just the, our own personal charity that we're funneling money through, but we partner with other charities. And then we ask every single client to donate and we match all those donations. And the reason we do that is just because we think there's more to this than just, we represent people, we get some sort of resolution for them. And that's the end of it. There's, there's a longer lasting relationship that we're looking for and a bigger benefit in society. And we're trying to be, you know, trying to impact society in a, in a good way. What I liked about these, these parting thoughts from you is, is that it doesn't just end at the time of verdict or at the time of the conclusion of the appellate work. There's a whole life that these people have to now live. If there are people who live through this or even the, the beneficiaries of a wrongful death or, uh, you know, some sort of claim that took someone's life. Why did you spend some time at the end talking about that? Because when I, you know, what I have found, you know, when you live with these folks for, for years going through this process is that um, you want something positive to come out of it. I mean, you can't go backwards. You can't, you can't replace the life that they've lost. You can't replace the hardship uh, and the sadness but what you can do is try to look and say, well, is there something we can do in honor of this person? And, um, and, and how can we have this person be remembered? And what I find is that when you start focusing on that at the end of the case, when, when they know that they're financially secure, when they know that their family is going to be taken care of, um, then something, they want to see something good come out of it. And, uh, and I have just seen that, help people move forward. A lot of times they think, well, guys, when the lawsuit's over, my life will go back to normal or somewhat normal. And, and they're just wrong about that. I mean, sometimes the lawsuit and the, and the process keeps them so busy that they haven't even fully grieved. And so you, you want to help them through this process and then you want to give hope. And what I have found more than anything else, just like what you've said is by, by giving, it makes you, it makes people appreciate it. And, and, uh, Gives them something to look forward to. Uh, you know, we've done the distracted driving. We've done bicycle helmets. Everybody in my firm, uh, we, we, we donate money in their, every employee's behalf, and they can pick whatever the donation is, they, whatever, whoever they want to donate money to, because that way it's not just me picking. It's, it's my whole staff. But, you know, I think anything that, uh, that a law firm can do, uh, and this will, it will help their clients uh, move forward. You know, it's interesting. One of my most memorable cases is a young man who fell off the back of one of those little golf carts that transports people around. There's like a bar and restaurant district in Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't know if they have this in downtown Indianapolis, but there's this little cottage industry that sprouted from that where people started using golf carts to transport people around to these bars so that they could get there quicker. It really wasn't to avoid driving because you can walk to all these things, but but it was a way for these these entrepreneurs to make money. And this young man was on on one and, and fell off the back when they hit a, a pothole and unfortunately died. And the family that I represented was really interested at, at the resolution of this case of doing something. And so we started to talk a lot about what they could do. And they ended up dedicating a park bench in Scottsdale uh, to their their family member who had passed. And the whole family lived in the Midwest. They didn't live out here. He was the only one who had lived out here. So they were doing a lot of this from afar. 
and they asked if I would go visit the park bench. And so I went and sat at the park bench by myself, not with anyone else, didn't make, there was no fanfare behind it. It was just me. And I just had some, some time with this young man who had, who had passed away. And then I, you know, took some photos because the family hadn't seen it and I sent them to them. And it was a very intimate experience for me, but it also reminded me of the real power in what we do and the real effect that it has on the people's lives that we touch. And, and for those that like to make jokes about the profession that we work in, I, I, I shrug those off a lot because I know that we're making a difference. I know that people like you are making a difference and it makes me excited to be able to connect with people like you and talk about, you know, the, the fact that you've written a book dedicated to the people that are looking for an attorney, not dedicated to other attorneys. You have a wealth of knowledge that you could share with other attorneys and you do, and you've spoken and you've been available to attorneys looking for, for help. But the fact that you've taken time out of, out of your life to say, look, I'm now going to write this for the people that will go through this. And so they have their playbook that they can look to and, and hold on to so that they're, you know, not necessarily misled, but just not informed correctly about how this process works and what they should be looking for. So, you know, I thank you so much, David. The book is called Semi-Truck Wreck. You can reach David through his website, Craig Kelly and Faultless. It's ckflaw.com. The number you want to call is 888-937-3862. David, if someone wants this book, they heard this podcast and they're like, I, I got to read this book. How do they get a copy? Well, they can go on Amazon. I mean, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's done really well. Uh, amazing to me. Uh, some folks that must, I mean, other people other than just people that are victims of truck wrecks uh, are reading it. And, and I think it, it's applicable to any serious injury or serious accident. Uh, but, uh, but you can also just contact my office and I'll be happy to send you one. Oh, that's great. David, thank you so much for the time today. I would encourage you to reach out to David if you have questions, whether you are on the client side or even on the attorney side. Sounds like this would be a great resource for you. David, I appreciate the time. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate you uh, having me on. 